When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Girl, I That's some bad hat hair. It's a cool show. Get any of that? Not a doctor. Bye, have a beautiful from you, love. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis and today we'll be discussing Big Little Lies Season 2 and joining me to do just that is friend of the show, Hannah Dallas, how are you today? I'm pretty good, thanks, Brad. I've had a bagel, coffee, I'm ready to go. Excellent. I had some Vegemite toast. Uh, that's about all I've eaten today, actually, and a coffee. <laughs> it's just been a flat-out morning for me. Uh, thank you, yes, once again for joining us and filling in for Damask. Uh, for those who are avid listeners of the show, Damask will be back next week. We'll uh, get to what we'll be talking about next week at the end of this episode. But uh, yeah, expect Damask to be back then, so that's exciting, but... In the meantime, Hannah, what have you been up to? What have you been watching? Well, I'm on school holidays, which is exciting. So, Mm -hmm. lots more time to to watch things that I want to catch up on. Um, But I did watch the... Survivor finale, the Australian Survivor finale. That's right. You gave us a bit of a, uh, a status update on that last time we were talking. Yeah. How did you find the ending? I loved it, which is perhaps not the... Um dominant public opinion. Mm-hmm. People have been a little bit upset or um, frustrated, I guess, with the outcome of the finale. So, fan favourite Luke Toki was uh, hopefully going to take away the title of Soul Survivor. Right. Uh, however, he was taken out by Pia Miranda. If you I know, do P- like Pia Miranda, Miranda yeah, yes. Um, Looking for Brandy. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reason that people really wanted Luke to win was, um, apart from being like an excellent player and really likeable, um, he also had a quite a moving story outside right. of the show. So he's got three children, um, two of which – so his sons both have autism All and right. he just had a baby girl six weeks before he went on Survivor and she was born with cystic fibrosis. Oh, wow. Okay. So, in terms of like the $500,000, yeah. he's a pretty good candidate. And the controversy, I guess, was that Pia knowingly voted him out or didn't align with him, mm. knowing that he really, really wanted the money and that choosing that would kind of put up a barrier to him getting that. Right. Uh, but that's it. That's Survivor. That's how you play it. It's a game. That's it's what he signed up for. Surviving, right? But there was a GoFundMe campaign after he was voted out. Right. And he ended up getting uh, more than the prize money. Oh, there you go. Called it quits at 550000 and donated the 50000 that went over. That's really cool. So, so what's, does he have a – what's his celebrity background? Because they all seem to be celebrity candidates. So, see, he's they? just a returning player. So, ah, he was on the champions team, but he played um, Survivor previously. I haven't seen that season. This is gotcha. my first season of Australian Survivor. Mm-hmm. But that's his story, really. He was just a fan favourite. Mm. And there was another big uh, reality show finale as well, the 
Bachelor. The bachelor. Bachelor, as I uh, learned to call yeah. it. Yeah. He has ago. found love. Oh, he did? Yeah, allegedly. allegedly. I mean, it's, it always takes a few months for it to actually show whether that's been successful or so not. So he didn't do a honey badger and just walk out. No, no, go, no, Channel 10 would never let that happen again. <laughs> I think he was under contract to choose someone. There's a few kind of You must jibes. fall in love. You have signed an agreement. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you signed on the dotted line. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, but they there was a massive villain edit for Abby, who was the runner up. Sure. And she's received a lot of misogynistic sh- slut shaming from wow. the public, to be quite honest, which is oh, not really gross. For some reason. Yeah. Yep, really gross. Uh, she had, she was very like overtly sexual and wanting to mm-hmm. explore her connection in that way with Matt, mm-hmm. and uh, she got absolutely slammed for it. Um, yeah, it's is, pretty unfortunate. It, do you think the show presented in a negative way as well? Oh, definitely. Like, that's gross. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. It, it was all in the edit. So, mm. it's like snake music over everything that she does or... Snake music. You know, oh, well, it's like that rattlesnake like sound, that. you know. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, wow. Uh, would you have liked to have, to have won or are you happy with who I think chose? it's actually going to benefit Abby to not. Have one. Sure. Yeah. She's a lot younger as well. And I think she really got swept up in it. And yes, maybe that's what she wanted in the moment, but mm-hmm. she's going to be absolutely fine. Could she end up being a bachelorette in the future? Because that tends to happen. I reckon. It? Yeah. 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 Or she'll have some kind of media career. Okay. Good for her. Description. Yeah. Uh, what else have you been watching? Um, I actually watched The People vs. OJ Simpson. We've already done a review of that. It's a uh-huh. great show. I like that quite a bit. What do you think? I loved it. Oh, I, good. I didn't. I kind of put it off because I knew it was going to be a big undertaking, just like episode yeah. length and intensity of the subject matter. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely churned through it. I couldn't stop it's watching. It's riveting. It's really exciting to watch. And quite, um, I don't know, I w- was really disturbed by mm-hmm. the details of that case. I guess I was young um, and I was. it was happening around it happened me, but I was in our lifetime, but yeah, I don't didn't really absorb it at the time either. Mm. Um, so for me, it was ba- it was kind of a history lesson at the same time, which is always the thing. It's like, if this is my real first intake of this information properly, how reliable is it? Yes. And yep. obviously there is some editorializing or dramatization going on, but for the most part, it sounds like it was pretty close to the truth, the, the, the work I've done or the research I've done afterwards. Oh, that's good to know because I didn't yeah. do too much of that apart from Googling um, like the real f- historical figures mm-hmm. and who they cast in their place, which was pretty amazing. Sarah Paulson's so freaking good oh in that God. show. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Have you watched much of Ryan Murphy's other stuff? No. Uh, maybe. I'm None not of American aware. Horror Story or no. Pose, I think, is his other one that's out at the moment. And then there's the second... Oh, the Gianna Versace? Yeah, Assassination of Gianna Versace. Definitely recommend it. I don't like it nearly as much as uh, the O.J. Simpson one. Yeah. But I think it's definitely worth... Uh, a look in. And then we know the third one of those is coming next year, which is the Monica Lewinsky yeah, one. Yeah, the Monica Lewinsky one. She's actually involved. Yes, yes. I which would not is, watch it if she weren't. Well, this was the thing. Originally, she wasn't going to be. It was going to be based on a particular book, um, which was a retelling of sort of that scandal. Mm. And she wasn't going to be involved. Everyone was A lot of the press or the talk around it was like, why even bother doing this? Especially in a post-Me Too sort of era, why... We, I think we've got a better understanding of how that whole situation was treated in the media at the time. Yeah. Um, and so, to stop production or pre-production as it was at the time, early production, and then go, let's reconfigure how we're going to do this and get her involved. And then the other big news that's been on recently is obviously the Emmys were on yep. yesterday at the time of us recording or two days ago. Yep. Uh, without going into great detail, what were your general thoughts on the winners 
Uh, well, I was pretty stoked to see yeah. Fleabag do as well as it did. Absolutely. Um, I thought some of the speeches were wonderful as well, really moving. Mm-hmm. And um, it's great to see actors more and more taking that opportunity to use their speeches for um, social change. Yeah, absolutely. And drawing attention to issues like trans uh, trans rights and um, the pay gap and mm-hmm. women of colour in in the world, yeah, it's really important. Unfortunately, it might have fallen on deaf ears. Apparently, it was like one of the worst uh, audience sort of like the people that were watching that didn't rate particularly well. Yeah, everyone relies on recaps now. Well, I was going to say, there's recaps and stuff. They're long. Like, I don't think award ceremonies really get people's interest anymore <laughs> no. just because of the length. They take ages, speeches. There's always padding and stuff going into them. Um, there was no host this year. I, I actually haven't seen a ceremony myself. Nor have I'm I. relying on recaps too. Yeah. I'm one of these ingrates. Um, but I doesn't sound like that was, I don't know, a huge success or made much of a difference either. Um, so, I don't know. I'm interested to see what happens with these sorts of things. Are they going to change Especially the way the they Oscars do them? the Oscars as well. Like, that's going to be an interesting one. Well, the Oscars, I wonder if they're going to go hostless again next year. Are they going to try and cut any more awards being yeah, broadcast Yeah, that's right, because well? they tried to cut a bunch of them before the ceremony, like editing they? was one of them, I think. Cinematography. They ended up getting back in, but they yeah, almost, almost took them out. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. Fleabag uh, winning for, I think it was Best Writing and then Best Lead Actress in a Comedy. Yep. Brilliant. Phoebe Waller-Bridge just... Uh, generating the most amazing images on the internet yes. at the moment as well. Like total boss pictures of her in that dress, like laying back with a cocktail and this is always her a, Emmys all around her. Her image, her profile is massive right now. So like Fleabag season one was big, but Fleabag season two, like the internet just caught, it caught fire with that. Yeah. Now she's winning awards. She's a recognizable figure. She's yeah. Creating this, this image and this brand almost without necessarily trying. It's what's happening to her. So, what she does next is going to be really, really interesting. She's got the Bond film coming up. She does. I just feel like right now she's so hot. It's like, is that something sustainable? Is there going to be a backlash like what happened with like Jennifer Lawrence? Yeah. um, I think she's in a slightly different position to J-Law or I don't know. Maybe she does have that kind of like um, self-deprecating. Yeah. Um, everyone loves her because she's like the girl next door mm-hmm. sort of thing. So I hope that doesn't go that way. She is more of a creative than J Law. Like J Law is a bit more of like, um, yeah, just the actress that everyone wants to put in stuff. Where she's got a bit more like creative control over where she goes next. Yeah. So I hope that that. I just always worry, and I think this is true particularly for women, but mm. in general with the current media landscape, when someone rises to the top, yeah. All of a sudden, it becomes very popular to. Yeah, well, to, the only way is down. The only way is down, right? So if she makes any missteps, even if just the next thing she does is not as good as Fleabag was, it just becomes really easy to so people try are and ready tear, her to tear her down. And I'm just, yeah. I just want to mark this point in time and go. She's hit the top right now. She's won all these Emmys. She's got this amazing profile. Everyone's buying that jumpsuit from um, Fleabag season two, <laughs> yeah. and like. What's the media, what's going to happen in 12 months to Phoebe Waller-Bridge? Is it just going to be more her doing great stuff and everybody celebrating her? Or are we going to start to see the backlash because she's become popular? And that's my cynical look at what the media will do. Yeah. Just wait well, for it base, to happen. You're basing that on like what does happen. That's what happens, right? Yeah. And so well, I, certainly want, hope I want not. to mark this point in time and go, 12 months from now, what is the conversation around Phoebe Waller-Bridge like? Has it become toxic? Because I feel like it's really possible. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it'll be, especially maybe if Bond's no good, for instance, you know, or there'll be a oh, lot of discussion about... Oh, people are so protective of that as a property. Like, yeah. it's a genre in itself and people are going to... Yeah, the, people are ready to come for those kinds of things to protect them. Mm-hmm. There's also, just in terms of other award winners, um, I was really happy that Bill Hader won for Best Actor in a Comedy Series for Barry. Extremely well-deserved. Um, and I was a bit sad Russian Doll didn't get any love. Yeah, I'm glad he got nominated. Yeah, that was my thing as well. I'd, it was it really deserved to. stiff competition. Like, Marvelous it was, Mrs. Maisel. Oh, it was just a back. stacked year. Barry, yeah. like a stacked year for comedy on TV. Like a lot of deserving winners. And just like any other year, four or five of those candidates would have walked away with it. But when it's such a talented field. It was field, very competitive. Oh, and the other big one was... Uh, Game of Thrones won several Emmys. Yeah. Peter Dinklage won for Best Supporting or Best Lead Actor in yeah. a Drama, I think. But the main one was, I think, Game of Thrones won for Best Drama. But it wasn't up against anything. Like, I kind of looked at what it was up against. And I'm like, eh, yeah, maybe this year, but... Yes, I think it's obviously its profile is bigger than anything else that was nominated. I just wonder... It was almost like a token thing as well. Yes, there's always that whole idea of this is the last year of this huge series that's changed TV landscape forever. Is this sort of just like the last hurrah, let's celebrate Game of Thrones. I kind of think they could have just given it to it based on the drama that was happening on the internet as it was coming out. Like that was that was award-winning drama, watching everybody watch that show week yeah. to week because it crumbled and burnt around us. That, oh, man. That- it, was, it was very... I don't want to say triggering, because, but just seeing them up on stage like that, I'm like, you assholes. <laughs> Except for Gwend- Gwendolyn Christie, who oh, totally looked got, amazing. she looked incredible. Yeah. I've seen some commentary that's like, if she doesn't end up as like some kind of candle in that outfit <laughs> on Etsy within like 10 minutes, then totally. the internet has failed us. <laughs> but yeah, she didn't like get nominated by the network though. She had to no, nominate herself. She had to nominate herself and ended up getting in there, which Back was great. Yourself. From memory, I think Alfie Allen also had to nominate himself and he got yeah an official nomination based on that as yeah. well because the network wasn't doing it for some reason. I'll tell you what is, there's something that people said as well that was a bit of a tragedy and she was never going to win this year because they didn't give her enough to do. No. But um, Lena Headey never won for Cersei. But she they didn't give her enough to do in this season. Like, not there's this not season. Enough there. But there were plenty of seasons where yeah. she was just Jaw-droppingly titanic. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a real shame she never got that sort of, uh, yeah, recognised for her work on Game of Thrones mm. like that, unfortunately. Anyway, that's enough uh, mucking around. Let's get to our spoiler-free review of Big Little Lies Season 2. Let me clue you in. Season in review. After huge critical acclaim, Big Little Lies returns for a second season, even though there was no sequel to the book, to explore the aftermath of The Incident on the women now known as the Monterey Five. David E. Kelly returns to write, but while season one director Jean-Luc Vallée remained creatively involved, due to his commitments directing another HBO series in Sharp Objects, he relinquished the director's chair to Andrea Arnold, known for her work on Amazon series Transparent and films American Honey and Fish Tank. The all-star cast of season one return with the somewhat notable new inclusion of an actress known as Morel Strep? Streep? I'm not sure anyone would have seen her in anything before. You might want to Google her. Season two consists of seven episodes, each coming in at around 45 minutes and took us approximately five hours and 15 minutes to watch. While cast members have expressed interest in a third season, there is no official plans to return to Monterey at this point. So before we get into our review, Hannah, do you just want to remind our listeners what you thought of season one? I really, really liked season one and I really regret my 
review, like the star review I gave it, I do want to push it back to a 4.5. Oh, so you're going to I'm retroactively go change it. You're doing what we call a Broderick on this show, which is come back a week or two later and go, you know, I've thought about it more <laughs> and I was really harsh for some reason. I definitely need to add a I half just feel like I didn't want to be too gushy and yeah, I, but I'm committing to the 4.5 because it was really, really excellent. I think that was kind of reinforced by watching this season. Ah, very good. But yeah, I loved it. I loved seeing all of those women together. Um, there were some really amazing explorations of what it's like to be a mother, but also of um, the complexities of domestic abuse, mm-hmm. um, which we talked a lot about in the last uh, podcast episode on mm-hmm. this um, season, series. Yep. yep. When we last talked about Big Little Lies. When we last talked about it. Um, yeah. I really, really liked it. And I'm in the same boat. I did give it a 4.5 at the time, mm-hmm. which I stand by. I'm not going to change it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Incredible performances, just a stellar cast. A lot of them doing incredible work, especially Nicole Kidman, I thought, in that season. Some fantastic and richly explored themes and ideas. A mystery that maybe was easy enough to figure out as you went along, but maybe that wasn't the point. Yep. It was just about that build up and that escalation. It had a real sort of drive and pace behind it yeah. when you wonder what's going Aesthetically on. Aesthetically beautiful as well. A- and absolutely. Um, Jean-Luc Vallée, he does great work um, with the camera. Um, and I look forward to talking about that a little bit more with uh, with a different director in there for season two. Mm. So before we do that, though, I do want to say this is a spoiler-free review. And the thing about season one is it ends on a big reveal, the big spoilers yes. reveal. So we're not going to reveal that. But in discussing season two... We're going to sort of reveal who wasn't part of the incident. That makes sense. So there's a murder question of who was murdered in season one. We're not going to say who it was, but we might say who it wasn't, if that makes sense. So that's slight spoilers there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes so sense. So a little bit of a warning. We'll still try and be very vague, but yeah, if you're paying attention, you might figure out who it wasn't as we're talking about. It. Anyway. Just based on who's alive. Just based on who is <laughs> alive and which actors and actresses we're talking about anyway. Uh, so. What is your review of season two of Big Little Lies? Dem- uh, Hannah, it's a mask. <laughs> Hannah. It's all right. Women are interchangeable, I understand. <laughs> wow. Doesn't matter who I have on the show. I get called out. <laughs> You're just a huge misogynist. That's it. I am just one of those toxic masculinity icons. Go for it, Hannah. <laughs> okay. This season's an interesting one. I really enjoyed being back with these characters and in their world. However, overall, this season rides on the coattails of last season's emotional potency. There are fairly clumsy attempts to utilise the same techniques that season one skillfully deployed, specifically flashbacks and use of diegetic music. This results in a diluted effect, which I found frustrating at times. It goes to some efforts to craft its own powerful moments, but these are clouded by meandering plot lines that simultaneously stifle opportunities for characters' stories to be meaningfully explored. I love these actors. I love these characters. I don't think it shouldn't have been made necessarily, but I was certainly hoping for more. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I think I agree with you on a lot of that. I reckon it sounds like I'm going to be a little bit more positive on season two than you were. I think, first of all, that a lot of what made Big Little Lies season one Great remains true in season two. Performances from our leads remain the biggest draw. Everyone is doing great work. Zoe Kravitz gets way more to do this time. She gets time in the spotlight. She was sort of a secondary character, it felt like, in season one. They found more for her to do this season. That was appreciated. Laura Dern is having a ball this season and, for me, was a bit of a highlight. 
And again, it was a situation where we just got to spend more time with that character um, and a little bit more time just Laura Dern having her own scenes. I really enjoyed her work this. The child actors still continue to impress me. The kids are very present in their scenes. They are really quite good actors. There was one scene where a character screams and... I was just so impressed by what's felt like a very authentic reaction to that scream from um, a couple of the child actors. I was like, either they just weren't told what was about to happen or they're really good at what they're doing. But either way, I like their work a lot. Nicole Kidman, however, remains the MVP for this show for me. Uh, We do have a new director, um, though a lot of the style of season one from uh, Jean-Luc Vallée remains. Um, Arnold is still using those flashes, flash cuts for inner thoughts of our characters, and that remains very, very effective throughout. Um, A new inclusion for this season, of course, is Meryl Streep, who gives a very interesting performance um, as the character of Mary Louise. I look forward to talking about that a lot more in a deep dive, dive discussion. But yeah, it's a different performance for me from Meryl. I think it's one that might not be popular with everybody, I'm looking forward to talking about that. I personally, for the most part, liked it. Yeah, I feel like I I did enjoy it. I maybe came off like in my review there that I didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I've been quite critical. But uh, yeah, I love this show. I think yep. it's still a really, it's an HBO drama that's like beautifully made. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm here for it. It's great. Totally. Uh, this time around, no more Greek chorus. In the first season, we had all these cutaways to other parents and they're commenting on our main characters and their lives and what's going on around them. That's gone this season. I'm pretty happy with that. No problems with that at all. I think there's a couple of sequences in the first episode where you see some parents sort of sitting around looking at the Monterey Five as they get called. And like, that's about it. It's like, they sort of like a, like go, oh yeah, people are still paying attention to these women in their lives and gossiping about them, but we don't have to hear about this year. So that's good. Um, episodes on average this season are about five minutes shorter than last season, which doesn't sound like much, but I think you can feel the difference. There's a lot of these like scenes that feel rushed. They last 30 seconds. Um, the They start to like move so quickly from scene to scene. We're clipping through them. And you worry that with this rapid fire series of changes and cuts and changes in tone that we might be missing something or something's changed in there. And there's potentially quite an important reason for that, which we'll talk about in a deep dive discussion as well. And one episode in particular, um, towards the middle, maybe even heading towards the end of the season, really suffered for it, I think. It just felt like a a bit of a janky mess. It was really oddly paced. And we'll talk about that when we get to favorite and least favorite episodes. This season also doesn't have the underlying mystery that drives the drama of season one. And because of that, it kind of lacks this sense of jeopardy. Um, So this feels different. It's not necessarily building towards something. Like it's like a first season feels like this like freight train that's just speeding up and getting to this moment, this big crescendo. This doesn't have that. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does definitely change how this season feels. It feels quite different from season one because of that, even with all the other things that are consistent in there, including the actors and the style of directing in there, or at least the style that it's shot. The comedy as well comes from a bit of a different place. Comedy is not a huge part of this show, but in season one, the character of Madeline um, has brings a lot of that, Reese Witherspoon's character. In this season, they kind of need to find it from somewhere else. Um, and I'm, for the most part, successful. I think Laura Dern does a lot of that 
work. I found her very, very entertaining, as I said earlier. It does also take, I mean, it's, it's not building towards necessarily. It does take a very big dramatic shift or turn in the last couple of episodes, which I think is right, right for criticism because it feels a little soap opery or like contrived. Yeah. But I also kind of loved it. Yeah. Like it's kind of when the show kicked into a gear that I was like, I was finally thrilled for the first time all season in the last couple of episodes. So while it does feel a little bit almost circusy or like soap opery, it also, I don't know, took it to a level of intensity that I was appreciating that we're getting because it hadn't really been there for the rest of the season. Yeah, Does I that agree. Make sense? Yeah. Um, overall, though, I quite enjoyed it. Did we need a second season? No, but I liked what we got. It's rich with character-focused stories and complicated themes. It's not as well-constructed or thrilling from moment to moment as season one, but it's still very, very watchable. The performances alone make it worth your time. So with all that in mind, Hannah, what's your final score out of five this time around? It's a really high 3.5. Sure. It's a really... It's like... It's a 3.5, but it's almost a four. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm sitting. I thought in talking about it, I would have a better... I've put 3.5 or 4, and I'm still not sure what it is. I feel like there's a lot of things that you mentioned in your review there that I kind of... It's going to be a good discussion because Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily agree Mm -hmm. with what you're saying. And I think there are quite a few problems to do with... um, the creative process yeah. and the production process, which explains a lot for me in what we got as a final product and, yes, some the way some of the stories were handled and that sort of thing. So, we'll sure. get into that, I am sure. I think I'm going to give it a four. Mm-hmm. It's a low four. It's definitely on the same cusp, 3.5 to four. I wonder whether a rewatch would be different. Maybe, because you we've watched this very differently. This is your second time watching it through. Yeah, so the- I watched it week to week mm-hmm. with um, my partner and my housemate. So we were watching it, looking forward to it every single week, mm-hmm. debriefing after every episode. And I had those like, like a full week in between each episode. Whereas with this, I watch it in a day. Yeah, and I sort of did the second thing. I watched it all within like two to three days. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I was getting the episodes one at a time, I would have been left very unsatisfied each week. Sort of mm. going, ah, oh, didn't feel like I got a lot there. Or, ah, oh, that felt a little underwhelming. But I know, I'm the guy that's always like, yes, weekly stuff is the best way to watch yeah. this. For whatever reason, because they were a little bit shorter and they were easy to sort of link two or three together Well, they in just a kind session, of rolled into each they other, did didn't they? did kind of just keep rolling into each other. And so, I felt that worked to its benefit on this occasion. Sure. Um, and that might be why I'm a little bit more favorable with it than you as well. But I'm going to give it a low four. So, averaged out between us at 3.75, which I think sounds about perfect. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Uh, before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we would really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, whatever podcast platform you prefer. But right now, let's talk spoilers. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning. On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in season one and two of Big Little Lies. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Big Little Lies up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You You have have been been warned. warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. So it's probably worth starting by talking about some of the the behind-the-scenes drama that has potentially affected the way this season has come about. Yeah, I think it's important because I think it really has affected it. So some of the big questions are like, why are these episodes so much shorter than season one? Uh, Why are there so many editors listed in the credits? Fifteen. Fifteen. And so, the answer to this, answers to this question come from um, an IndieWire article by Chris O'Fault, uh, Big Little Lies Season 2 Turmoil, Inside Andrea Arnold's Loss of Creative Control. I'll put a link to this article in the show notes. Um, but the main points of this, Arnold was the director brought in to take over from Jean-Marc Vallée, uh, who was directing Sharp Objects, as we said um, at the start of this episode. Uh, and the cast appeared to love her inclusion. When Valet was done with Sharp Objects and he, he came back and took over for post-production of Big Little Lies. So, basically, he was helping to edit and shape, shape the show in the edit bay. Um, IndieWire has this quote. Post-production shifted from London to Valet's home city of Montreal, where his own editorial team started cutting what is now airing on HBO. Soon after, 17 days of additional photography were scheduled. So, they weren't just happy to take... Um, what Arnold had directed and put together, they decided was missing something. Yeah. And they wanted to go back and reshoot yeah. a significant amount. 17, like 17 days of- three weeks, essentially, yeah. of extra stuff. 
that's fairly significant with this sort of show. Um, so, of course, this explains the long list of editors. He had a team working around this over a period of time. And it probably explains some of the jarring shifts from scene to scene. I talked about how there was one episode in particular, I felt this, where it just felt like we were just like, bam, bam, yeah. bam, from scene to there's scene. That things that are seconds. inserted that feel very like post. There, Yeah, definitely some ADR in there mm-hmm. or re-edits to shorten conversations. Or Because yeah. her, her style is much more to hold on conversations mm-hmm. for it to be a bit more kind of flowing, whereas he loves to do those fast-paced um, montage cuts and yep. um, quick cuts to like the landscape or to the crushing waves and that sort of thing. I honestly feel like somebody panicked, mm-hmm. somebody important panicked during shooting yep. or t- towards the end of shooting. Jean McVillay was free again. And what happened, because Andrea has refused to talk about it because it's been pretty painful for I think her. She's I quoted think. saying it was heartbreaking. Yeah, it was really hard for her. Yep. So it's literally taken away from her and then reshaped in his style. So yes. somebody obviously thought, well, there needs to be continuity between season one, season two. She was doing something different, which in my opinion could have been a really interesting and positive thing. Yeah. Um, and after that, it has since been reshaped into to resemble Jean-Marc Vallée's style. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it necessarily – is completely effective. It's so in the final product. It's so hard in these things because it's we can never unless they somehow release the original. Mm, yeah, Arnold. Yeah, they said unless cut. you're in the edit suite, you're never going to know what we what was there beforehand. This is ex- like a similar situation to what happened with the Solo, a Star Wars story, where we had Lord Miller directing. Like to me, that sounds like a fascinating. Mm. Uh, pair to be directing that and bring a very different Angie to Star Wars and then somewhere during the actual shoot of that one, higher ups panicked, brought in Ron Howard, who made a very down the line, bland Star Wars movie out of it, unfortunately. And so we can never know. We can never know if the Lord and Miller version was better. We can never know if the Andrea Arnold version of Big Little Lies Season 2 would have been better or more interesting or how different it was. Mm. But it certainly makes you raise eyebrows. And so, if you're not enjoying Season 2, if you're having problems with Season 2, yeah, you kind of go, well, how much of this is due to what's happening behind it? And there's another thing that IndieWire points out. There's a sort of unfortunate irony to what's happened here as Valet comes in to direct. Yeah. This is a show dominated by some of the most powerful actresses in Hollywood and they hired a fiercely independent woman director who was now being forced to watch from the director's chair as scenes were shot in the style of her male predecessor. Um, so... It's not... A, the optics of it are not good. No, it's terrible. Um, some of Arnold's scenes were cut right out. 60-page scripts were slashed down to 40-plus-minute episodes, sources say, largely by chopping up a scene to remove what one source described as Ar- Arnold's character exploration and ephemeral stuff. Yeah. Hence the short episodes. From memory, um, someone was talking about, in an article, about how Andrea Arnold has, in the past directed works that really focus on uh, marginalised women, mm-hmm. women of colour, mm-hmm. downtrodden women who um, – and their stories. Yep. So, f- to pull her out of – not that comfort zone, but her um, creative area yeah. and to get her to focus on these <laughs> very wealthy white 
sure. stories with a quite a soapy script if it's not treated properly. Yep. It's not very fair, I think. And, yeah, it's a very awkward position to put her in and then to not back her and give her a style Bible or if, if they are going to be really prescriptive about what they want it to look like, what they want the feel of the show to be. They didn't yeah. do any of that. Well, I mean, that's this is where things can get a bit uh, hard to understand from a creative process from a – when they're building this from the ground up, when they choose like, okay, Valet can't direct this season. Let's get Andrea Arnold in. Yeah. Surely you choose – and this is, again, I take this back to the Lord Miller thing because I think it's just a perfect example. Surely you choose those sorts of creatives who have a particular style, mm-hmm. right, or have a particular sort of like um, approach to these things because you want them to do what they're good at doing. Do yes. you know what I mean? So, if you – why get – Andrea Arnold to come in if you just want them if you just want her to be to replicate stuff. It doesn't make sense to do that. It's not respectful. It's it doesn't give her any artistic integrity. It's just like director for hire. Well, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just asking for someone to mimic somebody else, and I like. And so, do they self-respecting director in her position would not want to do that? I just don't think it doesn't make any sense to hire. If yeah, if you're going to choose someone like Andrea Arnold or. Lord Miller to direct your thing. Expect to get their style. Yeah. Don't get annoyed when you're getting something. It's like, oh, this is not what I wanted. Yeah. Like it just it doesn't make any I sense just, to me. I'm it's curious bad- to know what the discussion was or what they were worried about. Um, yeah. I just I suspect it was a couple of people who just panicked. Quite then, likely. Yeah. HBO execs or maybe I wondered actually, and this is I've got no evidence for this. This is absolutely just speculation. Mm-hmm. I wonder whether uh, David E. Kelly might have been a part of this as well, yep. who as the writer is was likely around the production a lot as well. Um, it's his story. And like, so you can imagine we get, um, because this is the thing as well, I wonder if part of the reason they got Andrea Arnold was because of the optics of it, right? Let's get a woman. I'm almost positive that that was part of it. <laughs> like it's a political choice, right? To yes. choose someone like that to come in direct. And then you also got Meryl Streep, right? So it's like, this sounds amazing. Yeah, this, what could go wrong? This uh, director that these actor- actors love and we've got Meryl Streep on board as well. And they, and they wrote this script they thought was going to be a certain way. And then it's coming out different. Yes. Particularly, I have this, again, speculation, but a theory that what they were getting from Meryl, from Meryl, who was obviously getting directorial notes from Andrea and uh, Arnold, wasn't what they wanted from the character of Mary Louise. Because uh-huh. she's, I think they expected her to be more, quote unquote, fun. Like, yes. she's got a lot of juicy stuff. She says things, she's got no filter. She yeah. just says what she's thinking. I read something that said that she potentially based that character mm-hmm. partially on a film critic mm-hmm. who absolutely slammed Meryl right. once upon a time. She was the one who came up with a quote um, that Meryl acts from the neck down or something yep. like that. So <laughs> I can't remember the name of that reviewer, but apparently part of that character is based on that reviewer. Because this is getting ahead of where I, w- I want to talk about yeah, Mary sorry. Louise a little bit later, but I quite like what she's done with Mary Louise. Yes. I think it's a more subtle uh, version of what that character could be. That character c- could come in and just be like a kaiju just tearing Total through this town, archetype. right? Yeah, yeah. You know, d- more like Devil Wears Prada sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Just come in, speak her mind in in a way that just rips through. But she's 
the character is played in a much more sort of nuanced under- way. Nuanced, underhanded way. And maybe that's not what they thought they were getting when they got Meryl Streep. Maybe that's not what they thought they were going to do have when they wrote the character the way they did. They expected it to be more scene chewy, and she's not chewing scenery. She is making very little smaller choices with yeah. the way she plays the character. And I kind of wonder whether that might have been part of it too. It's like okay. this isn't what we expected. Yeah, I don't know about we that. We can't get rid of Meryl. No. <laughs> Who can we what can we change? Well, we can get John Luke back in and make this film more like season one, maybe get another version. We can't change it too much because so much of that was committed by Meryl at that point anyway. Yeah, which I, is why I it kind of feels a little bit like diluted or um, it's just odd. I'm just trying to think of who the people behind it that could have been the ones to panic. I mean, John Mark Valet wasn't yeah. completely uninvolved, but whether it was him and David E. Kelly just sort of going like, this, this isn't, isn't our show. This isn't my vision. This isn't what we thought we were doing. But is they didn't my conspiracy theory. want that second season initially anyway. They didn't. John Mark Valet didn't want a second season, well, but then he changed his tune. When he saw what was happening. Yeah. Because it was, yeah. And again, I still think, yeah, my suspicion is David E. Kelly. That's my suspicion. Okay. Based on nothing. I mean, we will, we will never know. Total speculation. But let's just create some big little lies drama of our own. Okay. Gossiping is totally David E. Kelly. It was all him. It's his <laughs> fault. Uh, should we talk some character stuff? Well, yeah. I just wanted to start actually by talking about the overall season story, about what they're trying to do here. So, unlike season one, it's that. We've got this event that happens at the end of the season. How do we get there? This is the, it's the build up to the event. This is all about how does that event affect our characters? Yeah. Which is really rich stuff. Like, and they lay it all out in episode one. And it's do. very exciting because they do pick up from some re- really great places, uh, particularly for Bonnie. You're in an interesting place with. Um, Celeste as well. We're back in the therapist room with her. Yep. And a really precarious place with Ed and um, Madeline mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely. And there's an interesting couple of revelations about sort of how the moment the incident took place happened in terms of the decision to keep it yeah. a secret and to lie about it. We get the revelation that Madeline seems to be the one who said nobody, nobody pushed nobody him. Nobody pushed him. He yeah. slipped. He slipped. Yep. And sort of she is the one that creates made that decision and so when people start regretting that decision later on it falls back on her as the person who sort of pushed them in that direction as well which is quite interesting it is interesting because we do eventually come to at the end of the season yes um where the book comes to with bonnie with Mm -hmm. her turning herself in Mm -hmm. Uh, oh does that happen in the book she turns herself in the the book yeah um so yeah it's it's i find it interesting that they do eventually get there but They've managed to insert a whole other season in yeah. between. So that time. from memory, how long like when in the book, how mm. much space is there between the incident and like that ending with Bonnie? I I can't remember exactly, but it's it's not an insignificant amount of time. Sure, it's not just an epilogue. It's no. like multiple chapters. Uh it's Right at the end. Oh, so, okay. you've got... It's it's almost an epilogue. Okay, sure. Because this is almost like yeah. an epilogue season in some ways. It's like yeah. they set up the whole Maddie and Ed stuff. Let's let that happen. Well, one of the reviewers did say season two doesn't feel like a necessary addition so much as an enjoyable epilogue. It's kind of uh, the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child of <laughs> the uh, Big Little Eyes universe. Um, with With all that sort of the dramatic potential after the incident, though... I'm surprised by how few scenes we got of the Monterey Five 
together. Yeah. And how brief they all seemed to be. They were a little bit silly when they did get together. Like it felt very forced and it, it manufactured drama, essentially. I didn't really buy it. I, so it's a question again of like, we shouldn't try and guess this stuff. Was it stuff that was added in later? I feel like they were probably there, but they were much media. Because it always felt like they'd have a little talk in their car or they'd go and meet up over night time and sort of, you know, have a bit of a chat about what they're going to do, which I think makes a lot of sense. And why not put these five women together and have them have these scenes? Yeah. But why do they last 30 seconds? And why don't we like... For me, one of the weirdest things was there's... A finally sort of a build up to some stakes happening around this lie, right? In the sense that they've got to go and do this case um, or, or, or they're going to be called as witnesses theoretically yeah. for Celeste stuff, which I don't even understand I the law of. I don't even think that that, like what bothered me about that was like, it just seemed totally implausible. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you can't bring up a potential murder case as collateral like evidence in a child custody battle. Like it just seemed ridiculous. Ridiculous. So this is where the uh, it's like that this the whole custody case, right? Yeah. And the drama around it is the bit that I think is really easy to criticize and go, this is TV fiction. This is worse than Law and Order. This is like doesn't it, make in sense. In my opinion, it, it I was yeah, it was a bit silly. I think. And as silly as it was, I fucking. I know. I love those courtrooms. <laughs> um, Meryl and Nicole Kim were like high-fiving oh, after those scenes. This footage. I'm like, yeah, you guys earned that. It's it's really good. But like in terms of just like the narrative stakes that are out there, yes. this is a big deal. The, the, theoretically, what we're being told is these women could be brought up to the stand and maybe they could be asked questions and they will be forced to commit perjury, which is you know, obviously a chargeable offence or whatever, right? So Stakes are high. Stake, well, we, they tell us the stakes are high. But it didn't feel like they really gave us enough time to feel yeah, that the characters felt that the stakes were high. And there I was a hallway scene and there was a very brief conversation yeah. at night around their cars. It's like, I really feel like we could be spending more time talking about these massive decisions they're about to make to lie on the stand. Which didn't even eventuate because the only person who got on the stand at the end of those five was Celeste. So, what? It's very confusing. I mean, it did come up, but... Yeah, just with her though. Yeah. They didn't put Bonnie on the stand. No. They didn't put like these other. They, they all got called as witnesses. They didn't put Jane on the stand. Stand either. And that was wasn't the whole idea. They all got called as witnesses, and they were going to be put on the stand. I don't know. It just and it was it a hot happen. mess. It was a bit of a hot. <laughs> Celeste, so like Ted Bundy, she's like, "Yeah, I'm going to represent myself." I'm like, "Yeah, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> that would never happen." Let's get to the Celeste stuff because okay. really, it's probably again Nicole Kidman and Celeste get to be the meat of this story. I think mm. the most interesting, narratively interesting stuff. Of course, it's got a lot to do with her uh, fraught confrontational relationship with Which Mary Louise. Which was awesome. So I, good. I really think that Meryl played that beautifully. She was, she traded in this really subtle, amazingly executed shame mm-hmm. with whoever was in her way. But she always did it with such dignity and mm-hmm. it was really difficult to call her out on it because she did it so skillfully. And you can see Nicole, um, Celeste's frustration with having to live with this person mm-hmm. and her judgment and the way that she's raising her kids. And she constantly feels scrutinised by this this woman in her life. And I really felt that palpable tension between the two of them and also Celeste's rightful anger yep. around um, – around her attempt to have her children taken away from her. 
to have I was it, furious. The because ends up yeah. I think again. I wonder. I speculate that Mary Louise is maybe envisioned by the creators or by the writers as sort of being this titanic kaiju tear the world apart sort of force. And instead, she's more of this insipid like poison which just seeps into everything. Yeah. The way that she, um, yeah, just casts aspersions or theories. And it at, is quite skillful because I didn't necessarily completely side with Celeste. I could see it from Mary Louise's perspective this sometimes. So I was like, part. wow, she's not actually being that great of a mother all no. of the time. And she is struggling and she does need help. No, that doesn't mean she shouldn't have custody of her children, but she isn't being self-aware of how her um, more self-destructive actions might be impacting on her children. And that my, I did have an issue with how that um, her kind of casual sex stuff mm-hmm. came out. So that came out in a kind of gotcha moment in the courtroom where yeah. they're saying, who's this, who's that, who's the other guy. And again, that, that's that when trial she, was a circus. It was a circus, but <laughs> that could have really paid off in a different way. But instead they were like, oh, by the way, this is what she's been doing the whole time. And you learned that at the same time as everyone else in the courtroom. And that just didn't really seem very respectful to the viewer in a way. How do you mean they learnt about the same time? So you know, you had known that she'd been having sleeping with men. Sleeping with men, because mm. you'd, you'd seen like one of them. I think we'd seen at least two. Mm, I don't because it was the guy had. in the bathroom stall was definitely seen. So there was the, the first. There was the guy at the bar. Yeah, and then she took him home. That was Joe, I think. And then there was her remembering um, the guy in the bathroom was definitely okay. there. But I think. I like, just don't think that they really allowed us to understand the full extent of that. Sure, sure. Maybe what they wanted to go for there was um, for us to side with Celeste's blinkered view of herself and um, that she genuinely didn't believe that it was a problem and Mm -hmm. that we kind of have that realisation with her. But it didn't really work for me. I just think, well... It didn't, yeah, okay. So that moment, that reveal didn't work for you. Yeah. Do you, how do you feel about how the show came down on that behavior? Like, they, it gets called self destructive and all these sorts of things. Is that fair? Is that. I don't think the show came down on it. They just exposed people's criticism of it. Like, they Even allowed Celeste that to be- called it self destructive. She called it self destructive behavior herself. Okay. When she got her, once she had her lawyer doing the cross examination, yeah. and she's talking to the judge, basically, or the judge starts asking her questions, she's basically just trying to like make her case for, like, listen, I understand. Mm. I'm not perfect. I'm trying to get better. I think it's an interesting one because she does have young children who are coming into her bed to be comforted. And, sure. and there is a lot of context based stuff there that. Mm. This behavior, like not to slut shame women, mm. women are in, entitled to enjoy sex, to for it not to be a long-term partnered emotional yep. experience every single time. But she does have to consider her children and the impact of um, emotional attachment mm-hmm. on them and how they might perceive it. And uh, they, she could certainly be having casual sex, but she needs to support her kids at the same time. And so this is where Mary Louise is somewhat of a sympathetic character. Yeah. Because she is not necessarily wrong in the idea that Celeste is falling short in some ways. I also think it's uh it's sympath I'm sympathetic to Mary Louise's desire. You know, she she says describes herself as a wanter yes. in the first episode as well. She, doesn't she calls like short people. Doesn't like short people. Um uh but she wants to believe that Perry was a good boy and was not any of the things 
that he's been accused of mm. or been found out to be really. Um, it's a really great moment, isn't it, where she just t- she tells you why she's there. Yeah. Absolutely. So good. So and, go on. And it's hard not to feel like as much as her methods are awful and there's like a lot of fuck you, Mary Louise moments in there. There is a tragedy to this mother who just is mourning the loss of her, the one son she had left because the other yeah. one had died in a car, a pretty awful circumstances as well. And yeah, just trying to make sure his memory is preserved in her grandchildren and that she figures out who the killer is because she feels it's suspicious his death and all this sort yeah. of stuff. You have like, sympathy for her desire to preserve that. that memory and her denial in trying accepting that he could be capable of those sorts of things that he's being accused of how she goes about it of course mm. the way she just he barges her way into all these women's lives and somehow oh, showing up pumpkin carving showing up like particularly with Ziggy I think that's really problematic the, the Ziggy stuff is fucked when he when she Poor when Jane. they're getting into the car and she's just standing she's there she's just there and just like what the fuck is wrong with you but it's it's a great... She's a great character. Yeah. Like, she's one of my favourite things about this season, I think. Is there... And this is going to sound crass, I think, and not like... Not cool at all. But um, is there an... Is there an element of performance that's going to... Trying to be a little bit on the spectrum, right? Okay. And I bring this up because it's sort of addressed in the show a little bit. There's a conversation that Bonnie has... Where they're talking, yeah, I well, I think which I Jane. didn't like. I actually made a sure. note about it. Yeah, go on. And she's talking with Jane, and Jane's talking about the guy that she's seeing, whose name I can't remember. It was a Corey, I think it is. And yeah. she's like, I think he might be a little bit Asperger's or mm, on, the, on spectrum. the spectrum. And Bonnie says, Are you sure? Because sometimes people just make that excuse because they're actually just really assholes. And I was like, is that directly? Is that a way of the show addressing that Mary Louise ha- seems to miss social cues a little bit? She's so forthright. She doesn't seem to filter. Under- filter at all. It's like, is there an element of? Is she on the spectrum to some degree, or is she just an? Is is the show saying, well, you might think that, but really, she's just an asshole? Like, I, I was- didn't get that at all. I okay. find that interesting that you. Um, saw that because that's not something that even occurred to me for one second because sure. I actually think that she's very socially perceptive and that she uses that to her advantage. She's very good at finding um, ways of responding to things in in ways that make her seem unaware and could be excused in sure. that way. But I actually think it's the opposite. I think she's very emotionally calculated. intelligent and calculated and yep. socially intelligent, um, which I think is – kind of encapsulated in that scene with her and Renata where she's um, invited over to tea. Mm -hmm. I think that she's way too – not that there's anything wrong with being neurologically diverse, but Mm -hmm. um, I don't see that. Yeah, and so, again, I think it's – the show didn't necessarily plant a flag on either side of that. I think there's the the potential that – what the show did plant a flag on was – being a little bit ASD shaming, if anything, mm-hmm. like when um, Jane is on the beach and Corey, which is just, he's just such like a home and away <laughs> character. He's, I really dislike him and everything that happens in that storyline. But anyway, she's dancing. There's a reason Jane is at the bottom of my list of characters to talk uh, about and she's only got two dot points. Why is she nothing more than a rape victim in this season? Why? Why? We'll get there. Anyway, she's having a dance on the beach and that's all lovely. And then he's like, are you um, 
I can't remember what he said on on the spectrum, and she's like, "No, are you?" And it's just a, a little bit like, oh, "Okay, what's?" I don't understand why that's in the script mm-hmm. or what that served, apart from to kind of stigmatize people with autism a little bit. Uh, let's get back to the yes, Celeste. Stuff. I don't even re- know where we are. At. It's fine. I got lots to talk about here. Um, I'll just straight up. Let's Nicole's performance. As Celeste, once again, she's got amazing. some amazing moments. That visceral no she gives when she's in the therapy or scene. Or when she's asked to visualise yeah. Madeline in just her position. Guttural. It's, it's just yeah. animalistic, this no that comes out. Just, ah, incredible. And even I had that response seeing Madeline in that position as mm. well. I'm like, that's no way. Absolutely not. And mm. for some, she obviously loves Madeline and is so protective of her. And it really did feel like it came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. She's so good at accessing moments like that. How, just quickly, there's not as much time spent with the therapist this season. How, it's the same therapist. Yep. And even Maddie and Ed go to see her at one stage in yeah. the season. How do you feel about her this season? She's not as effective. <laughs> and they're not there. And that is not the actress's fault. No. It's the writing. And, um, I think I read something in a review that really kind of summarised what I was thinking and feeling and it was around the fact that she's not challenging Celeste, she's more just like annoying Celeste yeah. or kind of like putting her down and it's it's not productive, it's not tense, it's not – we don't get to sit in those sessions in the same way. Yeah. Um, I like that character less because of that mm-hmm. in, in this season and it, it, it doesn't really um, – have much on what season one did so beautifully. I think I put out the suggestion or the hope at the end of our season one discussion that we would get to see, like explore what's like after Perry yeah. for Celeste. I remember you saying that. And I'm really happy. Did you, do you feel like it? Totally. Great. Like, yeah, I hoped you'd be happy with this, that. Because it, it's not going to be clear cut. It's not like your abuser disappears and then their influence is just gone from your life, right? Yeah. Like she they is explored struggling that really well. to let go of him. Uh, watching the, the videos back. Yeah. And, and you the know, kids watching the videos back as well. Obviously, the effect it has on them. She's now a single parent where before she had... Perry to some degree, even some though degree. he was sort of like <laughs> came in and out. out. Um, but she she remembers him as being a good parent to the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, she doesn't have that her lover or her that emotional connection. Again, it was abusive, but there was there were times when that made her feel loved, you know, and made her feel special, and that's gone. And like she still longs for that. She's addicted to that. There's this. The therapist suggests she's got post-traumatic stress disorder, yes. but also suggests that she's addicted to Perry. And yes. like those things are both true as well. There's that scene where she's sort of like masturbating to this video of him yeah. that she saved. And it's like it summed up really like well how complicated that situation, those feelings are. Letting go is not going to be a simple process no. of just like throwing, you know, putting him in the ground and saying goodbye. It's She had to work through that. She um, did. And that was part of what she was doing with those one night stands where she was chasing something that was lacking now yes. and she didn't understand that lack. She didn't understand how to move through it um, any other way, I think. And then at the same time, you've got Mary Louise coming in and challenging her memory of what Perry was doing, right? Mm-hmm. Challenging Jane's story. Was she really raped? Blah, yeah, blah, blah. She really embodies that internalized misogyny yes. of, um, Victim blaming Absolutely. and victim doubting, and I think there was a whole list of things that she said that was just like all of the um, things that a victim blamer would ask. And then it prompts 
Celeste to have to to take some of what Mary Louise is putting on board, which means it creates this story or lessens her memory of the abuse that she had. Mm. Or as she goes to protect Perry's image for the sake of her kids, that only strengthens his hold on Celeste as well. It does. Like it makes it harder and harder to let go of her abuser and all this sort of stuff. It's so, so complicated. But I thought really well explored and addressed throughout the entire series. I, agree. I was really impressed by all that stuff. Yeah. I enjoyed um seeing that character journey through that emotionally complex uh place post abuse because it doesn't stop there. Like the the scars, yeah, they last for a long time. And then we get to the trial. And yep. things get dumb. <clears throat> like, as soon as we start getting through any sort of legal proceedings, Celeste seems to have forgotten that she's a lawyer and how to handle herself in that situation, which you can argue is because of how emotionally torn up she is at this point. She's just in a very, very vulnerable place. Mm. But s- season one made a stand to show us just how good a lawyer Celeste is. Yes, and so, how rational she can be and how totally. detached from the emotional content of what she's uh, representing, yeah, she can be, and so it was frustrating to see her make emotional bad choices in those moments, whether it was in the chambers with the judge or when they're going to discuss a settlement, or she's chastising her lawyer. For- or uh, that's the bit that really annoyed me. It's like you got to understand on some degree what she's doing in the strategy yes. here. Like that was very frustrating, and so when she finally. Gets her shit together and decides, as ridiculous as it is, that she's going to go up there and be her own, do the cross-examination or or the examination on Mary Louise herself. Mm. As right at the end of the episode, she's like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it myself." It is so like illogical. I loved it though. Such a (laughs) risk move, but fuck, I loved it. Yeah, so much. I was like, "This is." Really interesting. I cannot wait to see what happens next. Because you just want to see those two women go up against each other. It was it was so exciting. <laughs> Why so embarrassed? I just think it's probably it's the show at its dumbest, yeah, and yet I somehow know. it's most enjoyable for the entire season. It's yeah. really strange place to I be. Lo- I I think I loved that. Last I loved episode. It. I look at it a lot, and from the outside, like just critic hat on, I go that terrible make sense. storytelling. And also that doesn't make sense. And also that does make sense. But, but I loved it. I and it's just a pink, pink suit and yeah, stuff the like the whole thing the whole thing um i want to talk about madeline and ed though we're yes. we're going long already so oh let's my gosh get to that. okay yeah cool so the big story here obviously is that madeline's ref- affair is revealed to ed he yes. overhears oh, from- <laughs> abigail <laughs> now see episode two i think is like uh, the Telltale Heart, I think, is the name of the episode. Yeah, it's basically that's an Edgar Allan Poe reference. Yes, but it's basically like a everybody's secrets start to come out because people just overhear shit. Yes. And so my first question is: Did you feel like that felt organic to you? Like that where they were earned when people are like overhearing conversations because they're just being careless or know things because they've heard their parents talking on the phone, or? Did it feel contrived? Like- no, it felt pretty organic. That's like fairly low down on the list of things that <laughs> <laughs> didn't make any sense to me. Sure. That seemed very plausible that Abigail would just kind of come out with it like that. Sure, sure. It. You, you disagree? Well, only because I think there are times later in the season where secrets 
or things started to get talked about or felt like they could get talked about and they felt like they were being earned. Like they got to a point where someone would reveal something because they were in a situation where yeah. the stakes were so high they had to. Okay. Right? They get to a point where I was like, I'm sure Madeline's about to tell Ed about what happened on the stairs because her marriage was just such a tipping point and he was so frustrated with being obviously kept out of the loop that she would... I think she did tell him in the end or... I actually can't remember now because they didn't discuss it properly. I think she had a conversation with uh, Celeste about how she had to tell him because he's my no, husband I or Renata. Think, I think eventually she would have, but yeah, there was that frustrating discussion where she's like, I, I, want, I want to tell him I'm sick of having secrets with my husband. Yes, he's that's my it. husband. He's my partner. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and oh, that, and that's Renata. Like, we made, like, a made a pact. pact. <laughs> that's it. We made a pact. <laughs> it's a pact. It's a pact. Yes, that's a good scene actually. Um I was like, that that would make sense. Yeah. If Madeline was going to do it, considering just sort of this long drawn out torture that Ed's put her through, that maybe she would have. And so it was frustrating that the rest of the time that secrets come out, it's just because like, oops, slip of the tongue. <laughs> I found that a little frustrating. But did you, I really liked where Ed got to this season and I'm curious to see what you thought about sure. it as well because it felt very real, his response to the cheating. And he had obviously decided, I actually want to stick around, but fuck, I can't let this go. Yep. Therefore, I'm going to punish Maddie. And it felt like a very real it, response. It felt real. It felt familiar. And it felt dick. It, it was, it's like you're being a dick. You are being a dick. But, but I kind of get, get it. it. <laughs> I wrote that. Asshole Ed. I get it though. Like He does it so well. He he Who would have thought? I'm becoming a bigger I was already a big fan of Adam Scott. I've always liked him in Pucks and Wreck in particular. But I feel like this showed a new dimension to him as an actor. Totally. Yeah. I think he does a great I think the character of Ed is great. I think What about Nathan and Ed in this season as well? Nathan is just a fucking loser. (laughs) I'm so glad that Bonnie was like, I don't love you. I'm like, you're right. You don't love him. I suspect that you never loved him. I've never understood why that. you're with him. She yeah. said that. Yeah, I love it. He, I, I wrote, suck it, Nathan, you loser, uh, when that happened. But one of the things... I, I, Sorry, back to Ed. Is that what we're talking about? Well, now we're at Nathan, so <laughs> we'll come back to that. One of, just while we're on Nathan, very quickly. Yeah. Does he have friends? It doesn't look like it. He doesn't, right? He keeps trying to talk to Ed about his fucking wife problems. Go yeah. talk to one of your mates. Because Ed's like, um, I'm just going to put it out there. If you're going to come to your um, ex-wife's new husband for advice about your current partner, like something's wrong there. Yeah, I I think Nathan is, Nathan is a massive loser. and He is the worst. Needs to sort his life out. He is I He's the actual worst. I do not understand Madeline's attraction Gordon's to- the worst, I think. Nathan's close second. Nathan's close second. No, you know what? Nathan's worse. <laughs> um, I think bon- I have no idea why Bonnie had any interest in him, although we, maybe we get some idea of why she settled. Yeah. But still have no idea why anyone would be attracted to Nathan. Uh, like, I can imagine meeting the guy at a bar and going home with him, but I can't imagine having a child with him. Do you know yeah. what I mean? No. Weird choice. Weird choice. Don't, doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but yeah, let's go back to Ed. Surly Ed. Surly Ed. It. I definitely feel like I've been Ed at times. Maybe not for such an extended period, but I've been that petulant, angry asshole who I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be super destructive, but 
like I'm also not going to play along. I'm it's not going to pretend stone, it's, it's called cool. stonewalling. Stonewalling, it's I'm a very totally destructive. It's one of the um, horsemen of the apocalypse for relationships. Apparently, <laughs> is that right? Yeah. And wow. apparently, it's a quite a masculine, a preferred masculine. Um, yeah, I definitely think I've technique. used that tactic. Yeah, um, it's been a long time. I'm happy to say I don't think I've used it in my <laughs> current relationship. But um, actually, in my, in relationships that have gone sort of exploded later on, that was definitely one of my tactics. Um, and not consciously either. Just you look, recognize that behavior and yes, go, oh, I've been that guy. Yeah. And I get, I totally understood what he was feeling. That's the, that was why I was really appreciative about Adam Scott's performance is like, I absolutely understood the thinking there. He does want to be there, yeah. but he cannot trust her. And I like where they and got to, to with that, um, uh, where she's like, I just, and you really empathize with her yeah. as well. She's like, and she does give him so much rain with that, where she's like, I, I get what you're doing but this is going on for long enough. I kind of need to know where I stand and are we going to do this or are we not? We can't just keep um, doing what we're doing yeah. because it's it's not getting us anywhere. Um, it's really hard for me. Yeah. Um, and I love that they decide to renew their vows with the understanding of what it really means because they do say that that the first time they got married, like – they didn't really understand what they were getting themselves into, understanding the meaning of fidelity and all that kind of stuff. And and then they were like, you know what, we're going to make another go of it. And I really love that he came to that um, and it felt like a very real – you understood the journey, the journey was, was great. Was, yeah. the, the initial reaction that he has, yes, that ongoing sort of torturous, like existing in the same space – trying to make it work but also trying to punish her. Yeah. How frustrated that makes her. The conversations they have along and the way. When Chloe comes and gives him a hug, like oh, the, the paternal emotion. Great, oh my gosh. Just seeing him yeah. appreciate that, need that as well. Get that from She's a, Chloe is an excellent. Like she can be a little shit at times occasionally, but overall she's a pretty good she's kid. She's a good egg. They've done real good with her. Um cuz I think a lot of rich kids wouldn't be quite as emotionally switched on as uh, Chloe is. Um, that one of the interesting sort of symptoms of this, though, is that Madeline is not that same bubbly, funny sort of energy that she has in the first no, season. No, she's not because she's just sort of so, so. Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like single-minded. I think uh, Ed says it's like you know when you care about something, you just go, you just charge, right? And that's every element in season one everything that she's attacking she's just headlong goes for it you know no sort of second guessing no and yeah. she doesn't have that anymore and so it really changes her that's dramatically really interesting but it does mean her character has such a different energy it, it does change the show quite a bit um not in a bad way but no. in a noticeably different way yeah it does change yeah, like she has her, her presence um, big, is different. Her big speech at the Otter Bay um, climate change outrage night. I got. I say I love that shot as well. When she looks up at the end, and the entire auditorium is empty, not because they're actually gone, but because they've checked out. But that Ed yeah. just like at the back of the room. That's all she sees. Is <laughs> that's Ed. all she sees. Yeah, fucking so good. Very good. Um, she does have. She still has a few moments. Yes, but overall, you're right. She is removed from that comic relief yep. and instead you do get some really funny moments obviously you get those huge gifable moments with Laura Dern yes as Renata mm -hmm. which um yeah I, I I think they're very aware of how funny that's going to be and how it's going to be received and like I get I, that's not to say I don't love it yeah but it's very obvious yep. but I think there's some really funny moments with 
Mary Louise. Yes. Yes. And one of my favourite ones is where um, her and Laura Dern have that blowout at the coffee shop. Oh, exactly what you're talking about. And she's, she's ordered her coffee and she storms out. She's not, not having it. And she's like, I'll get, let me give the coffee to me. We're, We're going, going to the, the same, same place. Thing. <laughs> I thought that Just was Just her delivery well. on that is so funny. It's she has wh- a few funny moments like that, which I enjoy. It's one of those ones where you're like, was that in the script or was that just like a- Meryl. Brilliant Meryl moment. Just it re- felt very Meryl. I thought so too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, back to Ed and Maddie quickly. Yes, that the journey there. I think the other bit that, that makes the vows so- uh, Such a great solution, I guess. Such a great like capstone on that journey. Yeah. Is they present that idea of like- Ed's playing around and getting his revenge. They With show Tori. you. Well, they show you what Tori is doing, right? Tempted by Tori. And like, you see her that first time and she's got the new boobs. And she sure does. She sure does. She really wants you to know about They too. are selling them. <laughs> Were they always there or did she legit get her boobs done? I'm I very actually confused. I thought she was a different actress. <laughs> I was like, if it's new, if it's just new boobs, they worked. <laughs> like, totally worked. It was a lot. It was a lot. A lot. Uh, Eiffel, you might say, and the and like showing that and that temptation, and there's a part of you that's like, you could totally understand why Ed would do something like that, or maybe with Bonnie as well, because fuck knows I don't like Nathan. I kind of ship Ed and Bonnie actually. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I think they're kind of cute together. Yeah, I, I did like that they flirted with that. Just a touch, I, a little bit, just a little bit. But I'm also glad he didn't go there. No, no, and then ultimately. The you see what Tori is doing is nothing but destructive. Like mm. when you see the, I think the husband is sitting behind them in the bar, yeah. and then when she's like making her offer at in the cafe or whatever, it's like you're not. You look at Tori and you just go, you're not in a good place. Like as much as yeah, Ed it's very is struggling, isn't it? You are. This is a facade. This is not going to satisfy you. This is only designed to destroy. I want to know who her therapist is that said you need to get some control back or whatever. Because that advice wasn't necessarily bad, but I wonder, the way they she all was seem to have doing the same it, therapist. So. The way she was doing it was terrible. And so the way that Ed takes that advice and goes, I'm not going to roll over. I'm going to make you rededicate yourself to me. Mm-hmm. And like, like I, I think it's a, it's a really well-drawn line in their relationship. It's I, a, I think encapsulated so in great. when he says... Um, uh, that it's not for better or worse. For better like or worse, not your, your, your worst is off the table. Off the table, yeah. And I Boundaries, really like that. So important. I think I think it's great. I think it's a a great story about infidelity and marriage and the complexities of that. It's not just as simple as this person cheated and See you later. See you later. You know, it's not that. No. Um I quite valued it. It feels like it would almost be a completely different show. I don't know whether it needed to be in Big Little Lies almost. Yeah. Can, around the rest of the drama that's going on, it's, it feels so quaint that's just like a marriage that's a bit rocky but, uh, at the That's moment. why I think, ironically, it was one of the be- better treated storylines totally in the whole agree. show. Because um, you mentioned this earlier, that you were really pleased that Bonnie got served a little bit more in yeah. this season. and. Yes, she got more screen time. Was it meaningful screen time? Did we learn um, really important things about her and, and was she tr- given the treatment that she deserved? I don't think so. Well, I think it was really surface level. I thought that as the only black character, or there's a couple of other ones who are still quite sidelined, like mm-hmm. um, 
teacher. Celeste, the teacher, um, Celeste's lawyer, mm-hmm. and the um, detective, who's mm-hmm. like this kind of Javert-like dogged pursuit of totally. the women. It's Did just, I get her like lines this No, it was stupid. She's not even doing her flicking like uh, the with the lighter anymore. I don't think. No. Not, I, I, that was weird, wasn't it? But Bonnie's blackness Do you that is bit, not the bit. Sorry, yeah, no, you go. The bit where. She's got her watch. She's got Mary Louise watching the confession tapes, or not the confession tapes, the like the interview tapes. Yeah, and it's like, why, why are we here? Yeah. What are we? Do- What's this? That felt like another weird edit that happened. It is gross. Once it got taken away from Andrea, <laughs> which is again speculation. It may well have been the original version. Who knows? But the way it was placed in the season felt totally unnecessary. Yeah. Sorry, back to uh, Bonnie. Yeah, I just feel like. She w- she wasn't given enough, and yeah. there wasn't. I didn't understand her relationship with her mother in in the book. It isn't uh, her mother who was abusive as her father. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really appreciate this kind of mystic black woman thing yes. that was great, and that's come out online as well. I'm like, what is this about? Who is she? Yes. What is their relationship? And even um, the other characters don't really seem to care that much. Um, Maddie is uncharacteristically quite cruel to um, Bonnie in the car park. I know your mum's in a stroke. Yeah, but like, stroke, I know but- she's blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, it's, it's so not Maddie and it's really bizarre and mm-hmm. she seems like she's off in this, like, parallel detached storyline that never gets the attention that it really deserves or the ex- explanation that it really deserves. It felt thin for me. Sure. I think I think it's definitely a step up on what Bonnie was given to do last season. I stand Completely by that. Agree. Because yeah. Zoe Kravitz actually gets some stuff to do this season. Yeah. Unfortunately, especially early on, a lot of it is early just... Early on, it's better, I think. Well, early on, it's just kind of like not being present. It's just like she's just made herself... She's cold and distant and she's like she struggling. Look well. she, she looks sick. Like yes. dead set sick. And then as the mother comes into it, she starts to have more conversations when the mother has her stroke and whatnot. She, and you can see she's really struggling with this secret she's got and she's so guilt. Did the you, guilt. you know, the pillow smothering. Yes. Did you think that that was. Going to happen at the end. That it happened when they gave that flash um, of her like daydreaming about it. I uh, yeah, but that that's that happens multiple times in the show where I think something's happened and then it's like oh, no, it didn't oh, okay. actually happen. It was a flash, so it didn't stand out as like I think to me there was a little bit of that shock mm-hmm. at first, but then when it cut and she was just seeing their daydreaming about, I was like oh yeah, that's totally in line with the the way this show yeah. communicates things. What did you? How do you think about the twist where it looks like she's going to do it? Oh, that that got me. Yeah, I was I was. Almost positive that she was going to totally do it. Totally right. Yeah. So, where I think this storyline is, apart from giving like Zoe Kravitz some good material, I think she gets to act her bum off a couple of times. It made me realize how much she was underused in season one. Yeah. It does do a good job of presenting or making me think I know what's happening and what's going to happen and then twisting it on me. So there's this the mum keeps having these images of like water, right? And she like drowning, sees Bonnie drowning, drowning, drowning and stuff I, like this. My like speculation is that the drowning stuff was actually filmed later. You know, every time that she has the vision. Yeah, quite possibly. Um because that felt very inserted. Yeah, it, you could be right. The 
Be, yeah, and it made it feel like, as you said, there's this mystical element to it that she's having these sort of prophetic visions or something like that. Yeah, there's a and warning she's coming. Doing all like putting the crystals and sure, and so it really made me feel like where this was heading was Zoe was going not Zoe, Bo- sorry Bonnie was going to get to a point where she was just so racked with guilt yeah. that she was going to commit suicide, having confessed what she'd done. Basically, she has that little green book where she's writing down like I pushed him and stuff, right, and. Where I hated that because yeah. I hated the idea of the prophetic visions. So I was very relieved when that was more thematic in that she didn't actually see her literally drowning. She was envisioning her internal struggle that she was just feeling suffocated by the pressure of this secret she was keeping. Yeah. Like that's what ultimately ended up being, I think. And then the choice for Zoe, uh, for Bonnie, sorry, at the end to turn herself in felt earned as well because she just sort of. Well, she'd been got grappling to with a it point from- where she couldn't go any further. I was really happy it wasn't a, I'm going to go throw myself off a fucking cliff into the ocean. Were you, which is, were you worried that it was going to be? really felt like they were going with it. Yeah. Well, she seemed to be in a really dark place. So, I can yeah. see how that could be plausible. And that kind of felt like what the visions were prophesizing. And mm. I, I, if that happened, I would have absolutely hated it. So, the yeah. turn that I was played, that I was reading into it incorrectly. See, I, I always knew that it was... A metaphor. Sure. Oh, well, it always seemed like it could be a metaphor, but then you keep showing the crystals oh, right. and things and okay. like she literally touches her and like st- even Bonnie seemed to be starting to see things. It's in the way it's edited, but they're deliberately trying to make you think there's something yeah, they're leading magical you yeah. happening here. Yeah. Fuck, I was, I hated that. Me too. Yeah. Did not enjoy at all. So, I don't know. Did I think that the relationship between her and Bonnie and her mother was well- it felt like it could be a lot more there, I guess. When you put a character in a coma and they cannot have a conversation anymore, you kind of feel like you've lost some of the dramatic potential yeah, there. A little bit. A little bit. Do you have any other thoughts about the Bonnie stuff? Not really. I think I've I've said my piece about about Bonnie. I I would have liked more meaningful stuff to have been included. What what do you think's missing? Like if you could have <sighs> added something. I was just thinking if I could add anything, I think probably a it would have benefited from a really vulnerable conversation with her father about what her childhood had been like. Because they had that one in like the where he comes over when she's doing the singing for sleep apnea, mm. and like he's saying like he thought he was protecting her. Yeah, I, it doesn't go far enough, and sure. I wonder whether that conversation was actually longer, um, and whether it had been cut down. It felt short for me, but it is. We've got to be careful. I, I know. know we've I'm in, speculating so much. We've <laughs> indulged in this. This is It's not just you. I'm doing exactly the same thing. Of when you, it's, it's potent information to know that this was changed a lot. It did really change my opinion of certain things and it made me see things in a different way. I didn't know that when I watched it the first time. Does it sort of, is what happens there, is it just sort of validates your suspicions yeah, it in does. a way, it makes you go, "Oh, well, it was shit because this thing didn't work as well, well as I wanted shit, it to." But but it didn't work as well as I wanted it yes. to because of this. And now you just keep casting that that critique confirmation over bias. everything. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is confirmation bias. And so I don't want to. Yeah, I but don't. What, what I will say is that I wanted more. Cool. I wanted more from that conversation. Totally. Whether it was there or not, I still wanted more. It wasn't enough. What we got. Yeah. Hundred percent agree with that. Uh, Renata is the other story which we've touched on a oh. little bit here. <laughs> I, I, I just gotta say, I just had so much fun. Laura She's Dern is fucking having a watching ball. her lose her shit is one of my favorite pastimes. Just every moment, I, I just love. I just look, such a dumb thing to say. I love her face. I love every time she's sitting there and Mary Louise is putting like 
is expertly weaving her way through and seeing what what Renata is trying to do. And you can see Renata sort of like skirmishing with her. Yeah, a bit. she's well just trying to like she's she's usually more in control. Yes. And you can feel her like I losing love how Mary power Louise in that conversation. Knows which buttons to push yeah. and how to put anybody out of control, yeah, really. Anybody. I still don't care about rich people problems. Like no. that's the bit that makes the the, the critical <laughs> fault with the Renata storyline is like, so you're not rich anymore? You know what it is? It's Julie Cooper, season one of the OC, when is Jimmy it? Cooper <laughs> Sure, I People will you. know, Broad. Okay. People will know. Good. It's it, Yeah, it's Julie Cooper feeling scorned and like losing her throne yeah. in, you know, in Orange County, which mm-hmm. is exactly where she is. And then just to get to that point, I, I think it's an interesting conversation as well with Renata that she's sort of built this life up around her and then she's got like her, her guiding star is Annabella, right? Everything, all her dreams are her... Desires are to it's make her second sure. Second chance. Her, yeah, she Amabella can, is her. Yeah, Amabella it's no is her. Chance that like, I mean, it's it's no coincidence that they're dressed in exactly the same totally. party outfit. It's really, it's great. <laughs> um, but to have, she agrees to stay with Gordon, or her whole thing is like, I'm going to stay with you. Yeah, nothing to do with us. It's all got to do with Amabella. And so the journey ultimately for her is that like she reaches a breaking point, which is like, fuck you, Gordon. Well, he's such it's a man child. Yes. Such like that stupid cave with the pinball machines and his ridiculous train, train set. set and the fact that like that's the one thing that he's able to save in the bankruptcy pre- proceedings. Mm. You really feel that fury when she you, goes to it with a baseball bat. You enjoy that and you believe that Laura Dern had a fun time smashing the shit out of that room. Yeah, absolutely. That was fun. And when she hit him as well, I was like, yeah, fuck you. Buddy. Also chuck him out of the Tesla. That was great. <laughs> yeah, that was But awesome. then going back for him. Well, you know, she's later. reasonable. <laughs> uh, I, I just felt Renata was, because she wasn't, wasn't painted as a villain this season as well, it was nice just to get, like she's still like pompous and ridiculous and all those things that make yes. her like, she'd be a pain to be around in real life. Yeah. But she's exceedingly fun to watch in this show. Um, and so, as much as it's sort of like, like you think about those three stories, or the, the, at least the Celeste storyline, also how good the Maddie and Ed storyline was, and at least the dramatic, but new or the, the underlying drama, internal character, what they're doing with Bonnie, even if it's not as much as you'd like, yeah. the Renata stuff still feels slight, but it's also entertaining. And it had its place in the story. It did. And I appreciate that. And I also love the bit we find out that Gordon's been sleeping with the au pair. Uh, that's in the book. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Stress management. Stress management. Services, <laughs> other services rendered. Fuck, that made me laugh a lot. Love that. Um, and then finally, we have Jane. Uh, I appreciate that this story is like, well, we've seen what happens to Celeste once she gets rid of her abuser. Mm. What happens to a cat, this woman who... Survivor of sexual assault who, who wants to have a fulfilling romantic and sexual life. And, no, and I mean, not even just that, just go to the, the idea that she, she'd been looking for her abuser. She planned to kill him most likely. Yes. That yeah. has happened essentially. Not du- you know, a bit more less directly than she would imagine, a bit more indirectly. But he is dead now. Yeah. She knows that. What does life look like now? What does life look like for her too? So her and Celeste are sort of like parallels, like either side of a coin of that in a way. It's the same man. Yes. And yet her story is so less I dramatically think it's fulfilling. One of the worst. 
it's just it's just too slight. Like it it would help a lot if I actually thought Corey was actually in any way interesting. I, or- I, I kept thinking that something really bad was going to happen. I never liked him. I thought he was going to, and they did. They did want you to believe that when he, particularly when he went to the police station. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just something creepy about him or NQR. I didn't understand the appeal. I didn't think he was particularly nice. I didn't actually think he was a particularly good actor mm-hmm. as well. It just felt really soapy in the worst possible ways. So that's the home and away comparison, I think. Yeah, it is. I mean, even on a beach, it feels it like felt, Summer Bay, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I agree with you. And like, and again, as that in terms of a story of like her working her way through her reaction to that trauma in trying to be intimate with the man again. Yeah. I'm totally on board for that storyline. It just wasn't presented all that Interestingly, unfortunately for me, Jane, two seasons in a row has sort of been like uh, the the eh storyline. Was like I'm not sure that they knew what they wanted to say with that this season. Well, just whatever it was was not nearly like it's not without value. I think it's a valuable storyline. Agree. What has happened to her is definitely worth discussing, but it's not presented in a way that's all that fascinating or all that interesting. Ultimately, it's just sort of rendered in the most basic way possible, I think, as opposed to, let's look at Celeste's stuff, is, is so multidimensional and multi-layered as to be so interesting and fascinating and engaging. Yeah. Jane's is super forgettable. Yeah, I think so too. Which sucks. And I still like Ziggy and her relationship with her with Ziggy and all the stuff about Ziggy like- finding out that he has a grandmother and that, you know, he has these brothers and stuff. There's a lot of dramatic potential in that and yet it never it really seems like seemed echoes to- of season one though. True. Which again is kind of what this season is, right? It's the epilogue. It's like we just sort of allow the result like the whatever was left unspoken, it gets spoken this season. But it I know, it just never felt like it had a big enough effect on Jane. Yeah. Yeah, I think I can completely agree with that and see what you're saying. And what you were saying about Corey, they suggest, you know, they try to make it, he's going to be working for the cops or whatever and has been spying on Yeah, whatever. but it was like a throwaway thing. In general, just the investigation is a non-event in this show. It I is, found that detective, oh, I think I made the, the Javert, Javert comparison before. It's so, it's so like comical. Apt. It is comical. It's like, silly. why are you so doggedly pursuing this? Do you have other cases you could be working on? Is there anything else you could be doing with your time than being... Who is that person as well? She's just phantom sort of like in the background. Process. Yeah, phantom. Who's following them around. And like, again, I understand if you're trying to suggest this idea of like paranoia even. Or like when Bonnie goes, sees her at the hospital. And yeah. it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, Yeah, why are you here? Like, why are you here sort of thing? I like that reaction in that moment. But again, it just always... I didn't really feel the presence of that investigation to be as important as it probably should have been. It just felt half-baked. Yeah, I think so too. Did you end up um, ever talking about uh, Mary Louise screaming at the dinner table in depth or did you kind of just... No, only uh, the only time I ever brought it up was in the um, the spoiler-free review just in terms of how the kids reacted. Yeah. Because it was an incredible scream and they felt... It was, was a, a very authentic reaction. Such an amazing moment and I think that... It represented – there seems to be a bit of a theme that I was interested in when I was watching this about the kids, those mm. two boys, and what is appropriate to share with them, what's inappropriate to share with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that line was crossed a few times um, by both Celeste and by Mary Louise. So I think sure. that was inappropriate for Mary Louise to 
it starts off okay. I think she's talking about, um, you know, it's okay to be angry. Your father was an amazing man. But it just goes a, a bridge too far mm. with that vindictive anger. You should and be angry. You should be angry and this is how you should be feeling and I'm going to um, showcase this and just absolutely goes for it. And it's really confronting for the kids. I think that they need stability in that moment. And yes, they need to be affirmed in their need to grieve and that sort of thing. And the other time that I thought that um, a line was crossed was when Celeste was preparing the kids for the custody case. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about what they might need to say or mm-hmm. um, what it was all about. And, it's a fine line because I think that the kids needed to be included in that conversation to some extent. But for there was e- they were even talking about, oh, should we say that we don't want to live with grandma? And so I say, no, don't you don't need to say that you don't like her, but you just need to tell the truth. And the truth is that you want to be here. And um, yeah, I just feel like she was oversharing a bit with those boys sure. and putting them in a, a tricky position. Totally. Totally. And the other criticism that kind of did come up was that how is it possible that Celeste didn't see that footage on the iPad when she was making all those memory books and things? It seemed very convenient yeah. that all of a sudden that's there. I did feel like when they had the memory th- book there, I felt like something like that was going to happen. Like oh, there was did. going to be some something revelation in, the in there. Yeah, that there was going to be something important was going to come from that. It seemed a little too... Um, I know it was a bit of a Chekhov's gun situation. Yeah, it was like there was a there was a deliberate emphasis placed upon it. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be, um, but it did seem very convenient that she just happened to find that like the day before, like the the case was wrapped up. Are and- they even allowed to do that though? To I don't know. Not I don't in th- that court ca- in that courtroom. Apparently, they can. I don't. I'm not even sure that that is how custody battle hearings are held. I don't think. I don't think you get to call witnesses and stuff. I think that it's a discovery-based thing where the judge essentially asks questions, and it's that was like the most well-attended family courtroom that I've ever seen or heard of. Not, not that I've been in. There's any that family scene when the Monterey Five are all together, and and it's just Renata basically going, "Yes, they can. California law says it. UF, we can. They can do that. They're gonna just." <laughs> Fucking grill us, we're fucked. It's like you, you're almost convincing me that this is true. This doesn't seem. Like, it seems like real. they could do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seemed. Yeah. And the judge just allowed everything. She's like overruled, overruled, <laughs> sustained, sustained. Overruled. Um, just finally, I think before we get to final thoughts, the ending in general, as in the the Bonnie decides she's going to turn herself in. She texts the yes. other four. They all go and meet her at the police station and walk in. Yeah. How do we feel about that moment? Was that earned? Uh, is that a good place that you feel like to end the series? Would you like to see more? Uh, I don't want to see any more. Okay. I really hope that they don't make another season. This barely um, soothed my sense of the that it shouldn't have gone beyond season one. Sure. It makes sense to bring all of the women back together in that moment. That's mm-hmm. what they did at the end of season one. Much more powerfully so, though, I believe, and that was much more earned to have that coming together, mm-hmm. <laughs> pushing Perry downstairs. Um, but I liked the solidarity of standing beside Bonnie. It's a shame that we didn't really feel that solidarity throughout the season. Yes, yeah. So I think that they attempted to create moments of solidarity with those women in those pockets that we've talked about uh, where they're coming together and discussing like the pressure of this secret. But I do like the kind of calm tying up loose ends 
symbolism of them coming together at the end of the season. I think it's important to do that. The moment in its immediate execution I like. Yeah. The how we got there is the bit I'm a little bit frustrated by. Yeah. In me the too. sense that you were saying they had those they didn't have enough moments of solidarity. I kind of wish there was just more like them maybe being maybe some solidarity early, but then seeing starting to see them fracture that the idea they all showed up to join her is a big deal. They were all there at the court case with Celeste. They were sitting with each other. It's not like there was friction between the no. women really that much to no. suggest that maybe they weren't going to support Bonnie or that one of them would try and stop her or anything like that. And in general- It wouldn't be that they wouldn't support her, but um, that they wouldn't good go with her. It, it, the decision itself just ended up feeling a little too easy, right? That Bonnie was going and so they'd all go as well. There, You do feel like at that stage there would have- Again, it just felt like there was not enough conversations about this. And also just what they kept saying was, if we get caught, we're fucked. We're fucked, we're fucked, we're fucked, we're fucked, right? But they never really said, what would that look like? Are we talking jail time? Are we talking- Mm. We know that Celeste would- We lose our kids. Well, Celeste would have in the context of the custody battle that was going on. But beyond that, like, how does this affect the other women? women? Renata is currently bankrupt, like- is this? I just wanted to better understand what the reality of this decision they're making is going to be. How does this affect Maddie and Ed? Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what is she giving up here? Is she giving up her marriage to some degree that she's just started again? Or, like, I just didn't feel like I understood the, the stakes, stakes yeah. well enough. They weren't... They kept saying we're fucked. And so they've just fucked themselves is how that moment is the realistic interpretation of what is happening at the end of that. Yeah. On the, on the information we're given. That moment alone is powerful. It I is. like its execution as a moment. In the broadest as story a symbolic that we've been, moment. As a symbolic moment. In the broadest sense of what we understand to be the situation, yeah. they've just fucked themselves. Well, what does I, that really mean? I think really that's symptomatic mean? of just the way that the plot lines have been handled this season yep. where – Symbolism seems to matter more than plausible character-driven stories. Sure. Of like realistically where where does this leave these people mm-hmm. who you've given to us? And I honestly didn't put much thought into it beyond that. And I think that's telling. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any final thoughts, Hannah? Um, not really. No. You mentioned an uh, interview Nicole Kidman. Oh did. yeah. Uh, before I watched the show, um, I watched an interview with Nicole Kidman about her performance in in the show, mm-hmm. and in the performance, she mentioned that Alexander Skarsgård returns, and then very quickly was like, "Oh, whoops, what have I said? Um, oh, never mind." And I was like, "Oh, bloody hell!" Like. Jesus, Nicole. Jesus, Nicole. Like, is he not dead? Like, what the hell? Now I'm expecting to see him and I kind of kept it to or myself. Or ghost. Kind of was ghostly <laughs> in a metaphorical sense. Yeah. Go yeah. On. Um, John, my partner, is like crazy about spoilers. Like, don't even mention a single thing that you know about a show that could possibly impact. And then I, I just had to like keep that in, obviously. And thankfully, it was just all she meant by that was that he was part of like all of those flashbacks that they had to film. Yeah, exactly. It's all, I mean, he had to film a lot of new material realistically. He did. But it was his- ca- memory, Perry, memory box Perry stuff. was not still alive. There was no clone twin brother Yeah, so I was really here. relieved yes. about that. Fair enough. Uh, what did you think of the updated opening um, titles? 
There's subtle changes. Subtle changes. Yeah. I just, I love that song. So, they but, can't really go wrong. Well, that song is different though. It's quite a bit different to the version that is in season one. Is it? It's a lot more stripped down. There, no, the bass. Is there less orchestration in there? Like there's- So, there's, I think there's some sort of strings in there. I'm not as, you're much more musically inclined oh, man. than I am. I should have told me beforehand. I I'll, could have done I'll a side-by-side side side afterwards. musical comparison. There's definitely some strings are taken out of it. There's clapping in the new version as opposed to like a full-on like drum um, kit sort of scenario. Yeah. And there's like a electric guitar and maybe some bass guitar in I the original. I didn't notice That's not in there. Oh, yep. Yeah. Again, only maybe because I've just watched these within a couple of weeks of each other. I was like, straight away, I was like, this feels a little bit different. I went back and compared them. And they are- So, it's the more stripped thinner. It's more stripped down. It's sort of closer to acoustic. Not completely, but a little bit more stripped okay. down and bare bones than the first one is. Um, I'll show it to you after the podcast. But yes, you, uh, listeners should listen to that. It's definitely different. Um, uh, what happened to Tom's Cafe? Just I, gone. What happened to Tom? What happened to Tom? Booze, booze Blues. I- why didn't I look that up? I did that last time. I was like, <laughs> the booze reviews? I don't know. Booze reviews. <laughs> Deep cut catering show reference. I like it. Uh, oh, you know, she totally, ends up with Tom though. Totally off. Go. Off topic, hot topic here. Yeah. I was watching Kath and Kim the other day. Oh. Kate McCartney was in an episode. What? Just a minor role. But I was like, what it's season? Kate McCartney. Season three, episode two. Oh, can you please McCartney do Kath and Kim because that show really holds up. You know what? I actually could because I've just rewatched season one and two and that is a great show. It, it really is, is great. terrific. It's a shame it's not as good in season three and four, but it's definitely yeah. still good in season one and two. Way off track. Yes. What happened to Tom? Tom, I would have liked. I think I Tom to could have fulfilled Tom, the Corey role. I agree. And that's part of what really frustrated me. I was excited because um, Tom is in the book. That's who she kind of ends up with, yep. quote unquote. And the, there's hints of that at the end of season one. And I think that that would have been a much better character for um, Jane to realistically want to work through those struggles that she had. It helps the audience as well because we give enough of a shit about Tom. You don't give like, a shit about Corey. <laughs> yeah, you don't need so to. I'm so irrationally angry about this kid. But like he's, he seemed really young and like yeah. whiny and... <laughs> What do they they work at the aquarium together? Like, oh, please. No, Tom. Tom was a good pairing, and you just I just didn't want to even they didn't even mention him. No, and like then all of a sudden they go into this like tiki bar yeah, instead of like what's going on? Explain yourself, Joe. Just, where's the cafe? <laughs> where's the cafe gone? Uh, there's a, the ending of episode two. So this is after Ed finds out about the affair. Yeah. The end credits music is Ed singing that song yes. from the trivia night. From yeah. The I thought that was a really cool, kind of I brutal. Like the best music choice in the season, I think. That was the best music choice. Yeah, I kind of agree like, with that. Didn't find it as- I didn't think that they made very good music choices in this season. Some of it was a bit on the nose and obvious. It was very convinced. It was very convenient, I should say, for Renata to throw a disco party for her six-year-old child or whatever, or eight-year-old child or whatever, yeah, weird. which would mean nothing to her. Um, but at least it keeps the theme and the ear of the music in the same. And they had to have another dress-up party. Well, and I'm glad they did. Zoe Kravitz looked amazing yeah. at that party. Amazing. amazing. <laughs> uh, so. Yes. A part I laughed out loud at. Yep. Was when the teacher was, they were reading Charlotte's Web. And oh, they were what discussing a tangled web we weave when we something to deceive. Something like that. Yeah. Oh, it's a well-known. And I thought, like, it's such a um, that saying 
really has occurred to me with this show before. But oh, I sure. can't believe that they actually like put, put that in saying in in the show. Little that was on like, the nose. yeah, cringe on the nose. But the I loved where they're like talking about like why mm-hmm. Charlotte saved Wilbur. And he's like, you know what I think though. I think she realized that it was not sustainable for the humans to eat. Yeah. And then turned Charlotte's Web into like some environmental sustainability. Yeah. Like and how many commentary. showers is that? Fifth, that over 50. Um, <laughs> that I need to know what your thoughts as a teacher of young children. How did you and feel about this? sustainability curriculum coordinator at my school. Really? <laughs> we have the exact right person on the show for this. Go on. Um, what What is your question? Just in terms of like, uh, first of all, what you thought of the teacher in that moment, turning Charlotte's Web into like a, envi- a comment on- I was relieved that he wasn't singing the Otter Bay song <laughs> with them. But it-, it Okay, so he, it was Mind like- Mind you, I did like when they got the, the principal- parents? P- PJ Burns still great as the as the principal. I love how much he just is like done with these women. <laughs> He's just like fucking Madeline. What? What? Come on, you you go. What have Renata, you got to say? Whatever you Medusa or whatever he calls it. He's great. Sorry, go on. Oh, the M- Medusa of Monterey. The Medusa of Monterey. Um, uh, I thought. Okay, so the the discussion, this literature like based discussion of the themes of Charlotte's Web that he was having with grade twos was truly bizarre and implausible. <laughs> but then. Yeah, like you do have discussions with your kids about sustainability, climate change. This is something that we are talking about with students in schools at the moment and they are bringing this to us. Like it is something that kids are anxious about. Um, You wouldn't be like getting them to chant and recite um, things in the way that the show did. Like that's ridiculous. But um, I think that there is a fine line between educating kids and making sure that they feel um, informed about the the dire nature of the situation, but also giving them hope Yeah, I, I liked and empowering them to... The explanation they had to Renata about why they were discussing this stuff. It's like, it's on the news. Yeah. Like, we've got to discuss it because they're, they're going to be bombarded with this no matter what. Yeah, I really agreed with what they put as the school's line yeah. in, in that. And what was implausible or at least from my perspective, is the parents' response. Because if anything, and my experience is that the parents are pushing for it even more. And that might be the demographic that I'm working in. Sure. But it parents- seems like in Monterey Bay, though, they yeah. probably would be conscious of that stuff. They seem yeah. fairly progressive people. Yeah, left-leaning, all yeah. that kind of stuff. But, yeah. California, baby. California. Um, I do miss Ed's beard. Do you? Yeah. I don't mind. Doesn't bother you? Farewelling it. Is it possible that Adam Scott is just the perfect boyfriend slash husband. And that's why, like, he's so good as Ben in... Uh, I'd rather Parks have Ben than... Um, than Ed. Than Ed, yeah. I, 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 as much as, like, Ed is a shit a lot through this season, he gets to the right conclusion. Like, he, he does. He gets to the right place. Yeah. I he does, he does some hard work, hard personal work. <laughs> hard work. He does. You've got to work on yourself. I should just go back to the teacher quickly. Yeah. Did you think he was a better teacher yes. than the first grade? <laughs> yeah, I did. I know you had a good and critique And he really him. coughed it. Um, on that first day where Renata's like, oh, and my child's a genius. This is their IQ score. And um, there was some bullying last year, which will not be happening this year. See you later. Um, finally, did yes. you hear about the se- one of the scenes that we know was cut from the uh, version of the show that we got? Oh, no. There was behind the scenes footage of Madeline throwing her ice cream. You know the bit where she's eating ice cream with her daughter? Oh, and then yeah, yeah. Mary Louise is there and then she says something. And, and she's she like, walks you away. should be ashamed of yourself. And I can't believe you're doing this to Celeste. And then um, Mary Louise, like, 
just walks off. Yeah, and there's this great photo of like Reese <laughs> I have Witherspoon seen that. Throat- Heffing this ice cream with rage at the back of Meryl Streep. And it's like, why was this not in the show? Yeah, Everyone why was very wasn't disappointed. it in the show? Well, it may not have worked. Who knows what the reason was? But you did feel a little bit like we never should have seen that behind the scenes shot. But you did feel, I did feel a little cheated that didn't happen. Yeah, like, I'm I was sad. waiting for the, the throw. Uh, least favorite and favorite episodes. Hannah, what was your least favorite episode? Least favorite was um, episode five, which is um, Kill Me. Correct. Answer. Yeah. It's, it's right before it starts finding its – I don't want to say finding its way again, but it's working towards that um, courtroom conclusion. That thrilling courtroom conclusion, yes. <laughs> totally plausible, thrilling courtroom conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I just said it's messy and surfacy and incoherent were my notes on that. So what happens in there? They – um, we have a lot of the, the Bonnie storyline. Yeah, yeah. That was frustrating me. With the drowning stuff. I'm like, what is happening there? We're not getting enough explanation around that. Um, Celeste sharing too much with the twins yep. is in that, like putting a lot of pressure. Say you want to live here. Um, should we say we don't like grandma? Um, and the kids saying, oh, we can protect you. It's just like, it broke my heart, not in a good way. Sure. Um, that is the. Episode where we get Maddie confronting Mary Louise yeah. in the street, though. and they cut the ice cream. This is why it's my <laughs> least favorite episode. Okay, great. Should've well, that's reason enough. Um, it did just yeah. feel janky as well. Like it's a lot of thirty-second scenes. We get that one scene of the Monterey Five at, in in the dark with their cars or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like this didn't feel like enough. There could have been more. It and just everything that? was very unfocused and janky and oddly I agree. paced. And there's Tori trying to seduce Ed as well right at the end. And you just have these really trashy fade to blacks. That The ending of that episode in particular is Gross. weird. It just... It, it's it's it a fade to blacks. And it doesn't know where it... What it's leaving it with. It's not leaving us on a cliffhanger. It's not leaving us on anything poignant. It's just like... It's... It's just a false sense of drama it's making. It doesn't work. It's not as it's it's a bit trashy and gross. Yeah, yeah. It very soap opery. I thought at that point. Uh, was that yours as well? That was my least favorite episode as well for all the reasons you said and the reasons I said. Favorite <laughs> episode, Hannah. Um, I think it's the final episode. Final episode. Either that or the first one. I did really enjoy. Um, the first episode and the way it laid everything out, I was excited in the first episode. Um, the first three episodes were the episodes that critics were given when they were first ahead of time. Um, ahead yep. of time. Um, first episode's good. Actually, I'm, I am going to go with the last episode though because I just really did enjoy that courtroom stuff mm-hmm. and um, everything being tied together. The wedding, like the renewal of the vows, yep. I thought was really beautiful. And I think I was just ready to like farewell these characters. And sure. I... I'm really latched on to the finality of it and I'm hoping that that's, that's where we're going to leave it. For me, it was episode six, The Bad Mother. Oh, yes. We, in the moment, it felt like we had big stakes with them, with the courtroom drama and the potential for them to be called to the stand and maybe be forced to commit perjury, perjury and double down their lie, right? Um, we just have Nicole hitting it out of the park yeah. with her stuff on the stand. Zoe Kravitz was given... Again, while we think that Bonnie storyline might have been not as well fleshed out as it could have been, I think she, she has a, gives a great performance in that episode. She does. As she's coming to grips with like what's happening to her mom and, and how she's feeling about things and just sort of she's getting to a place where she's going to move on and be happier, you know, or at least get rid of some of the guilt and some of the the demons that plague her. And Zoe Kravitz was great in that. It was good to see her just, yeah, 
um, being able to, to stretch her acting chops a little bit. And then Celeste at the very end, the whole like, I'm going to be my own lawyer moment, which is super soap opery. I just said that was my criticism episode <laughs> five. But in this instance, I was like, yes, I cannot wait. Yeah. And just it was the first time I ended the episode going, I cannot wait to see. Next episode. It was thrilling. Yeah. I remember when we had a week in between sure. episode five and episode no six and seven. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, that's too much. Do you have any predictions, hopes or concerns? It sounds like you just I don't think want I'm pretty there to transparent. be a season three. I just do not want there to be a season three. And I'm afraid that the temptation is quite strong for them to con- continue do if it if it did happen if it had to happen is there any angle you would like to see it take i don't know where they can go from here the only thing i could see because apparently courtroom drama is what this show can do is maybe make it that they confess and then it's the state versus like take them to court oh right yeah i could sort of see a fun courtroom drama where like they've all confessed but um, I don't, I don't even know how that happened. Once they're all confessing theoretically, it's about proving that they did it through self-defense. Yes. And so maybe there's some like trying to get trying to pin it on somebody, and so they're trying to get them to turn on each other. Like they've sort of been. You get more Meryl in that as well. You get you? definitely more Meryl. She's going to come back to. She's going to be after Bonnie at that stage. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see something like that happening. I'm with you though. I think the story has reached its logical conclusion. I think all these characters have had the. St- Enough story, they enough uh, enough of an arc that we can just go, cool, yeah, you could f- maybe dig and find some story potential in there. I don't think it's worth doing it again. Don't risk it. Leave it. I think this HBO will find another one of these. This seems to be something it, right? over the last 10 years. This is a genre that they are trying to own as yep. part of like their quality television thing for women yep. and you look at sharp objects you look at this there's a few others mm-hmm. this is now part of what they do they they want to be um incorporating and this is you can say this in a cynical way as well as um what they're doing is genuinely great for feminism but mm-hmm. they are tapping into that zeitgeist of um well-educated white w- women wanting to have their um trauma stories explored and that sort of thing. And that is what they're doing with these. We don't know if there'll be a season three. There has been, yes, Nicole Kidman, I think, potential. In particular, said she'd want to come back, a few others as well, but nothing planned. Schedules are very hard. These women are all quite busy these days as well. Not that they weren't before they started making Big Little Lies, but that remains true now. And if if not more, I think Nicole Kidman's just having a bit of a, a colossance at the moment. Is she? Um if there if there was a season three, would you come back? Like, would you definitely watch it? Yeah, no doubt. It's I would, hard I would not to it. with the star power. Like, yeah, you're not going to miss those actors absolutely. working inside each other. Absolutely. Thank you, Hannah, for being on this episode of Hunting Seasons once again. I really appreciate you filling in for Damask My while pleasure. she's been away. It's been an absolute treat. We'll have you on again, I'm sure, at some stage in the future. And thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo and design work comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws, and our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club, who was on last week's show, and you should definitely listen to that about Gravity Falls. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. I did find out, for those who are listening to that episode, Gravity Falls is going to be on Disney+, Plus. so there's every chance we will do season two um, when that comes out uh, later in the year. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself 
Broderick Gordis on Twitter at B Gordis, B G O R D E S, and Damask at Maskymoo, M A S K Y M O. You want to rename, remain anonymous, is that right, Hannah? Yeah, but you can find Empty Cups of Hollywood. I'm still sitting of on course. two followers, so. <laughs> Yeah. Like, come on, people. Come on, people. What are you Show doing? Show me you're listening. <laughs> Empty Cups of Hollywood on Instagram. Next episode, Damask will be back so we can discuss Woo! Fleabag Season 1. That would be uh, awesome to listen to. Good timing, too, with their... Uh, slew of Emmys. Yeah, slew of Emmys for that show. Uh, in the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Good night, everybody. And so we